In the last two weeks, we've been looking at a series called Discover Discipleship. And we're in our third week today. And we've been doing this series because as I shared a few weeks ago, uh, the church leadership has said, hey, in the next few years, we are doubling down on disciple making. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given in me, so what? Go and make disciples. And there is room for us to learn and grow in this. And my heart for all of us here this morning is no matter where you are in your journey with God, that he would show you more of himself and invite you to take the next step with him. Thank you. Two weeks ago, we looked at the prep for discipleship which was to make way for Jesus. And we asked the question, what is getting in the way of Jesus having his way in your life? And then last week, Pastor Jim took us through the plan of discipleship and did an incredible job helping us see that the plan for discipleship is people like you and me. And Jesus finds us, invites us to follow him. He forms us and then flips the script in terms of what our priorities and our focus is in our life. And this morning, we're going to wrap up our series in Mark chapter 1 by looking at the purpose of discipleship. And to do this, we're going to read the rest of the chapter, Mark 1, 21 to 45. So if you have your Bibles, please join me uh, as we read through this together. It's a good section. It'll take us a moment, but I invite you to follow along as we read this morning from God's Word, starting in Mark 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately after they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and they immediately spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she served them. Now when the evening came, and after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the de demons to speak, because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may also preach there, for this is why I came. And he went into their synagogues, preaching throughout Galilee and casting out demons. 
And a man with leprosy came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling down and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas as they were coming to him from everywhere. Now this morning, if I was to unpack every verse we just read, we'd be here till about three o'clock, and that's not what we're going to be doing today. But I do want to look at this passage and pull out three things that we need to understand if we're going to understand the purpose of discipleship. These are the things that are foundational. These are things that come first. These are the things that start to paint the picture for what the purpose of discipleship is. And the first thing we're going to look at this morning is the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. Now, as we recall the last few weeks, we looked at John the Baptist, who is talking about this person who is to come, whose sandals he is not worthy to untie, the one who was greater than him. And last week, Jim walked us through the calling of the first disciples. And what we find in our passage today is now that he's gathered his disciples, Jesus is starting the beginnings of his public ministry. This is a big deal. This is how he is making himself known for the first time to the people in the world around him. If you would, the huddle has been broken and now the game is being played out. It's not too dissimilar than what happens when we leave here today. We gather together internally, we worship, we learn, we grow, but then life, ministry gets lived out, out there in our world. So let's take a look at what happens when Jesus first starts his ministry here. The first thing you notice is that he goes into the synagogues to teach to preach. And this was part of a Jewish custom and tradition called freedom of the synagogue. This tradition meant that a visiting rabbi could be welcomed in by the rabbi of a synagogue to teach the law or the prophets as a guest. And Jesus, taking advantage of this custom, this tradition, is doing exactly just that. He has an open door. He has a platform, and he's taking advantage of it. And you see in verse 22 what the reaction is to his teaching. It says this, they were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus stood out. He was not just another teacher like the scribes that they had heard from. Though very religious and very pious, these scribes did not have the authority that Jesus had. In fact, what's interesting is Jesus starts to teach. He builds a curiosity. This amazement isn't because Jesus just stood up and said, "Um, I'm the Messiah. It's me. Follow me now. We're going. Hey, Messiah here. 
No, he starts to teach and he starts to build a curiosity. And what's interesting is the individual who actually recognizes him is the demon-possessed man or the demon inside the demon-possessed man. John the Baptist knew who he was. He proclaimed him. And these people are getting a taste of who Jesus is. But we encounter this demon-possessed man who says very clearly in verse 24, what business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? (laughs) Calls him by name. Have you come to destroy us? Yes. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. These demons know why? Because they know he is the threat. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the one with more power than them. And the powerful demon recognizes this is one with a power more greater, greater than I. He is the Holy One of God. But Jesus tells the demon, don't tell anybody. He's not interested in the testimony of the demons. Plus, he is establishing his ministry But the crowds are amazed. We see this again in verse 27. They were all amazed and they start debating amongst themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And then they noticed what he had done. He says he commands even the unclean spirits and what? They obey him. The power of Jesus is showing up in a powerful way. But it's showing who the person of Jesus is. He is the one who is to come. He is the one who is not like us. He is the one who the world has been waiting for. You know, I mentioned a second ago that it was John the Baptist in the book of Mark who first proclaimed Jesus' coming. And what's interesting and recorded in Matthew chapter 11, once he's arrested, John has a little bit of a crisis of faith. Many of us do in hard times. He was in prison. He heard about the works of Christ and he sent word by his disciples to them to ask this question of Jesus. Are you the coming one or are we to look for someone else? And this is what Jesus said to John's disciples to pass back on to John. He said, go and report to John what you hear and see. And he quotes Isaiah 35. Those who are blind receive sight. And those who limp walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, and those who are deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And referring to Isaiah 61, he said, the poor have the gospel preached to him. What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus showing? He is the one unlike any other. No one else can do what he is doing. This person is showing up here. And this person of Jesus Christ, who is like none other, shows up here today. He's the same God. He's shown up in your life. Maybe he hasn't shown up. Maybe you haven't received who he is yet in your life. And he wants to show you who he is. And today is the day to receive that. He's the Messiah. He's like, unlike any other. I was thinking about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and the difference that he makes in people's lives and how the person of Jesus Christ transforms lives. And I came across a, uh, this story this week. It's been a big story the last few weeks. You're going to recognize probably most of you this person who's going to be up on the screen. This is Deion Sanders, prime time, Coach Prime. 
He had a very successful NFL career, success in Major League Baseball, and just this season took over as head coach of Colorado University, the Buffaloes, and has made a very uh, just dramatic change in the program. Last year, they won one game. This year, they won their first three games and got off to an incredibly strong start with a little asterisk because they got blown away by Oregon last night. But what you may not know about Coach Prime is so many of the other things going on in his life. There was a podcast called Faith on the Field, and this is from May 14th, 2022, and this is what he said. I had a time in my life where I was suicidal, so I understand having all the things and all the trappings of life, but not having peace. I understand it intimately. Truly, that was a problem. It was a dysfunction. It was something that I had to fix, and I couldn't fix it. I tried to pay it off. It wouldn't go away. I tried to sex it up. It wouldn't go away. I never used drugs or alcohol, so I couldn't medicate the pain, but I tried to do various things to see if it would go away. I would wake up, and I would still feel the same. Nothing helped me and delivered me and got me to the next day except for Jesus. I mean, that was it when I said I surrendered and I gave my life to the Lord. And if you read, he hasn't been shy about his faith. There's other articles, other things that have been said. And this is what happens when somebody's life is transformed by Jesus. You realize that he is the answer. He is the one. The person of Jesus is the only one that can speak to the needs in my life, in your life. And guess what? He's the hope for the world around us as well. We've mentioned it a lot these last few weeks, but this is the reason that we keep talking about the Discover Jesus group coming uh, this Tuesday night. So far, we've had about 15 people sign up, and it's going to be an exciting time. Because just like Jesus's approach here, where he stirred curiosity, and he let people come with their questions and start to ask the question, who is this? That's what we do at Discover Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but I get a lot of messages in my world. Buy this, do this, check out this. The messages that seem to sit most powerful with me are the ones that I'm already asking the question to. What's the solution for this? Where do I find this? Does this exist? And Discover Jesus is a place for people to come ask those questions and discover more of who Jesus is in the process. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's the next step for you, and you'll want to sign up before we start on Tuesday night. Or maybe you have a neighbor that you want to invite or someone who's been asking and saying, hey, come to this with me. It's obviously not the only place people can discover Jesus, but we are desiring to create an environment where we can make that easy for those who are looking to see more of who Jesus is and what he means in their life. Well, we talked about the person of Jesus. The next thing that shows up all over this passage is the power of Jesus. Over and over, he is healing at the start of his ministry. And in this, we see a few facets of the power of Jesus. The first one is in the spiritual realm. Jesus encounters this demon-possessed individual. And in verse 25, he rebukes the the unclean spirit and says, Be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit comes out of him. I don't know what it's like 
to experience that level of spiritual oppression as an individual. I do know what it's like to experience levels of spiritual oppression where you feel like you are just bumping up against something much bigger than you, where you feel the weight of it, where you feel oppressed, depressed, where you feel like, man, is it ever going to change? I can't imagine what this demon-possessed individual experience on a day-to-day basis. Moments of reprieve, moments of just sickness and utter corruption and evil, but constantly feeling like they are at the mercy of this power that was greater than them. And along comes a man who speaks just a handful of words, and in a dramatic way, this individual is set free. It says in verse 34 that he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because he knew they knew who he was. He had authority to cast them out. He had authority to silence them. And a lot of times we read stories like this and we think, okay, New Testament times. Possibly blind to the fact that the reality of a huge spiritual battle goes on around us every day in our world. Sometimes we're caught up in distraction and other things and don't see it. Sometimes we're caught up with the day-to-day list. But I love how clearly the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians describes this. Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he's making it very clear. Our battle isn't just one with people. Our battle isn't just one with our circumstances in our busy lives. There is an enemy. He has an army and we do battle with it on a daily basis. Are you not glad knowing that in light of the battle that we face against things stronger than us, there is one more powerful yet? Who fights our battles, who sets us free, who sets others free, and is helping others experience victory in his name. You know, that whole concept in Ephesians 6 about our our battle not being about flesh and blood, that's honestly a hard one for us sometimes. Uh, We get caught up in things like election season, and it's us and them, right? Or we look at the problems in our life and say that, oh, there's, there's other people making it hard for me. I wanted to just give a brief mention for a conference coming up in November and invite you to save the dates. It's the 10th and 11th, and it's our Digging Deeper conference. We did it last year. We call it our apologetics conference, and there's some incredible speakers. A few of them might look familiar to you. But I want to specifically mention what Dr. Daryl Bach is going to speak about. I've heard this talk before. It's one of the most impactful things that I've heard, where he's going to give us a few talks about how people are not the problem, they're the goal. And how the whole mission of discipleship isn't about just dealing with these messy people. It is about seeing messy people, ourselves included, come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and lives being transformed. 
And on top of that, we're going to dive into some hot button issues as well. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about transgenderism and how to engage our world today uh, just along the lines of transgenderism. And it's going to be a really enriching time with some people that are way smarter than I am. And so I invite you to be a part of that. And if you look in your bulletin today, there's actually a coupon code. Get to the end of the month to save $10 on the registration as well. So that's all I wanted to say about the Digging Deeper conference. But as going back to the passage, just as Jesus has power over the spiritual realm, we see in these things as well that Jesus has power over the physical realm. Verse 31, he comes to Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever and he raises her up, takes her by the hand and says what? The fever left her and she served them. Now we don't have an indication of how hot the fever was or if she was deathly ill or just not feeling good. We do know this, they didn't have Advil. And it seems like a, maybe a smaller thing, but once again, immediately she is healed. So if you look at that and say, oh, okay, that's a oh, fever. That's pretty good. We move on to verse 42, and there's this severe man with leprosy. And similarly, Jesus heals him. And as it says in verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't know a lot about leprosy, but I'm pretty sure it's not just an internal thing that you can't see. I'm pretty sure that it's a pretty severe illness, so much so that its contagiousness led anyone with leprosy to be ostracized and live in a camp outside of the city. And in fact, if you look in the book of Leviticus, there are very detailed instructions for how someone with leprosy might ever be reintroduced back into the community. It is an ugly disease. And I can only imagine what it was like when it says the leprosy immediately left him. It was probably inappropriate for him to be brought there in the first place. Jesus doesn't seem phased by that. He heals him and the leprosy immediately leaves and he was cleansed. What are the things that plague you today? What are the things that you just feel stuck with? that maybe seem like they're incurable. And if you like the illustration of leprosy, it doesn't need to be an illustration of just sin <laughs> because Jesus does that too in Mark 2. We didn't read this earlier, but a man who can't walk is brought by his buddies to Jesus and Jesus tells him to get up and walk. But first, he says something that totally gets the crowd stirring. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. The spiritual realm, the physical realm, the issue of sin and death, Jesus, my friends, has conquered it all. He went to the cross to carry the weight of your sin. He rose from the dead three days later to conquer death. There is nothing that plagues you in this world that he has not overcome. Do you need to experience the power of Jesus in your life? I know sometimes we struggle with the idea of God's power. Because my daily Christian life doesn't look like Mark chapter 1. I'm not walking around experiencing demons cast out and lepers healed. But there's a caution in that as well too. 
because I think there's a danger for us to start thinking, and even if we don't say it out loud, maybe God doesn't do that anymore. But I haven't heard of God retiring. I haven't been to that party. I don't think God has become less powerful. God is not impotent. The song, once again, we sang earlier, the same God. He has not changed. And I love the reminder that he is not done either. I shared this book about a a year and a half ago when I preached. It's a book called The Heavenly Man. And it's about a guy named Brother Yoon who was a church planner in China. And Brother Yoon was a guy who came to Christ in a pretty dramatic fashion. He had a hunger for Jesus. And for a long time, he prayed and fasted asking for a Bible. And a missionary left one on his doorstep, one that he never met and never talked to. And he just ate up the word of God and grew so much in that understanding of God's word led him to realize that this message wasn't just for him, it was for everybody else. And he went out and he was sent from there. And much of what he experienced reads a lot like the book of Acts. Miracles done, people healed. He was arrested by the Chinese government and put into jail where he was tortured and beaten and God saved his life and spared it. He couldn't walk because of his injuries, and God said, you're going to walk out of this jail. And he got up, and doors were open, and guards couldn't see him, and he walked out of the prison. What's amazing, though, is what he says. This is a quote from page 300. He says, in China, the greatest miracles we see are not the healings or other things, but lives transformed by the gospel. We believe we're not called to follow signs and wonders, but instead the signs and wonders follow us when the gospel is preached. We don't keep our eyes on the signs and wonders. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Friends, Jesus moves in power. But I think the thing that we get caught up with sometimes is we think about us. Well, Could I do that? Can I, do I have the power to do that? Or does he give this gift? Or how does that work today? Or how does it relate to me? And it's not about us. And I love the way he phrased it. We follow Jesus. Friends, you're invited to go into your world knowing that Jesus is still powerful. To pray to a powerful God. To invite a powerful God into your life, into your situations, and into your needs but then surrender to a powerful God, to his will, his way, and his timing. Even as my mom reminded me this week, sometimes the answer yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. But it's his work. It's his power. The third thing we're going to look at this morning after we looked at the person of Jesus and the power of Jesus is the passion of Jesus. And if you think about it in all these things, Jesus, his life gets crazy. It gets chaotic. He retreats to a quiet place to find some solitude. Yet his disciples find him there and say, everyone is looking for you. And in the midst of all this, he makes time for others. He shows that he cares. He shows that people are his priority. You see this in the story of the man cleansed from leprosy. It says in verse 40 that this man came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down, saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I know a lot of times my own heart would be like, I'm busy. Got other things going on right now. But it says that Jesus moved with compassion, reached out his hand and touched him and said, 
I am willing. Be cleansed. We often forget just how much Jesus loves us. And not only that, we can often forget how much Jesus cares for the people in our world around us. Yes, even the ones we have trouble with. Jesus is a savior who is full of compassion. And one thing I noticed in these miracles that relates to the passion of Jesus is he healed in ways that met their specific needs. He didn't go up to the person who had leprosy and say, and go home and find a new cookware set. That would have been pretty amazing, a little odd. But no, he addresses the needs of the people. And friends, one thought that I have with this, and it's a challenge to me, I hope it's a challenge to you too, is that if we are going to love people the way that Jesus does, we also need to know where their hurts and their hangups are. If we're going to love people the way that Jesus does, two of our best tools in doing that are listening and asking good questions. Because Jesus isn't just interested in just a blanket statement, I'm the Messiah. He's a Messiah who cares about people. And his passion will meet them right where they are. So what is the purpose of discipleship? You get a taste of it in verse 38. All this is going on and Jesus says to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach, proclaim there for this is why I came. This is why I came, Jesus says. The healing is part of it. Setting people free is part of it. But there are more people that need to know. There are people that haven't heard. Week one, I shared how in verse 15, he preached the message this way. He said this, the time is fulfilled. You've waited for this. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is what your soul longs for. Repent and believe in the good news. And friends, the purpose of discipleship is to proclaim the person of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the passion of Jesus. The purpose of discipleship is to proclaim God's good news to a world that needs to hear. Why did Jesus choose disciples? Why did Jesus make disciples? Because disciples made disciples, who made disciples, who told more people, and the gospel spread throughout the world. We've shown this each week, but there's a model of how we talk about this here at Burke Community Church. But when the gospel is proclaimed, and not just preaching on a corner, but when we say, Jesus has an answer for your longing, God is meeting you where you are in your need, reach out to him. People who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. And when people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, you know what happens? They become some of the biggest evangelists. They can't help but tell others. This is what happened with the person with leprosy. Go back to the chart for just a second. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Thanks. So they, they, they tell people and they tell others. And then they learn to know and trust Jesus and grow in serving Jesus. 
And the, the goal here isn't just to know all these things about God, but to start to live it out. Why do we serve like Jesus? Man, that'll challenge you in so many ways. I worked with college students. Many of them could give Sunday school answers, but they didn't see how that made a difference in their life. And when we serve like Jesus, we're humbled. We learn that we get in the way of the love of Christ showing through us, but his power in us reflects it. And he grows us and he gets us beyond ourselves and teaches us and develops us to make Jesus known. To proclaim him more freely and effectively. To enter into the lives of more people that don't know him. To come alongside baby Christians and help them learn to walk in this journey of knowing Jesus Christ. To say, God, will you use me to help others discover who you are? This is the purpose of discipleship, that Jesus may be proclaimed more and more in our lives, in our world, and in every corner of the planet. And just like we said, that guy with leprosy, you, you saw it. Jesus told him to be quiet. He couldn't even follow Jesus' instructions. He went out telling others and proclaiming that Jesus can heal. And as a result, Jesus could no longer go out in public and had to withdraw. You know, when we get to the end of all the Gospels, we see some great mission statements that clearly define what discipleship is out of, all about. And in all of them, you find this concept of proclamation. Matthew 24, 14 is one example of this. Get this. It says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached or proclaimed to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What's a huge thing that needs to happen before Jesus comes back? The whole world hearing the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then later in the same book, in the, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus sends them out. Go, make disciples, all nations. We see something similar in Luke 24, and he says to them, So it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and after that, what? Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Discipleship is all throughout the Gospels. You want to know something interesting? The Gospel of Mark doesn't have a statement like that. In fact, have you ever noticed that when you get to the end of the book of Mark, there's this whole section that's kind of like done differently, and it says this part probably wasn't in the beginning, uh, in the original text is what I mean by that. This was probably added later. Well, why would somebody do that? Well, the, the gospel of Mark ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Jesus dies, he raises from the dead, and the book ends. Pretty powerful, pretty amazing. But there were some probably, like, anyone here like things to end with a nice pretty bow? Anyone here like, like structure, like, you know, things to be kind of wrapped up? Well, there was probably some other people that felt that way too and then wrote the rest of the book of Mark. Hey, this, there's more to the story. We need to fill it in. And I'll never be able to put myself in the mind of Mark or the Holy Spirit, the spiritual author of the book of Mark. But I wonder if Mark was intentionally left the way it is because the story's not done. 
2,000 years later, the story of what happens after Jesus' resurrection is still being written. And all of us are invited to be a part of it. Are you willing to take that next step? One last thing before we sing as we close out. You've seen, um, we've shared about an app that exists. There's some books in the nook to help you take next steps. I encourage you as a next step, challenge the church with this, that in the next few months you would read this book for chair discipling. It helps us better understand the mission of Jesus Christ and the role that we play in it. You can buy it in the nook, but also, as we've said before, it's available for free in the Like Jesus app, which you can get the code for and download at burkcommunity.com slash discover. Um, it's a short read. It's an easy read. But as we as a church lean into resources like this together, what we're going to find is we have a common language, a common understanding, a common theology, and also methodology growing in our congregation of how we make disciples at Burke Community Church. So I invite you to do that. And I invite you as well just to pray with me as we close this morning. Father God, I lift up all of my brothers and sisters here to you today. We thank you for your call to make disciples. And we thank you that it's not our work, but we say to you, Jesus, that we lean on who you are. We lean on your power. And we lean on you to show your passion to others because we can love because you first loved us. Father God, may you continue to grow Burke Community Church as a place where people come to know you, are grown up as disciples, and sent out into the world to make an impact for Jesus Christ. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.